0: Welcome to Resurrection Church Podcast. We are honored you are here. Without any further delay, here's the word.
1: Um, I need just a tad more light on those spotlights. Oh, no, no, not, not that light. No, I don't like that light. Turn that off. I, li- I like the, these up. There we go. Yeah, all right, we're good to go. What happens is cast shadows on this. All right, interesting topic this morning, one that you should be very familiar with, and if you're not, you certainly will be by the time we're through in here this morning. Where did I tell you to turn to? 1 Corinthians chapter what? So you weren't even listening. Chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is a rather long text, but it's so difficult to divide it up. Uh, I tell you what, who in, here, who in here is a good reader and has a New American Standard Bible? Who's got American Standard? You do? No, no, I want American Standard. Okay, Rich, you, man, would you, would you come up here and read this for us? And if you'll read verses. Yeah, I, was in again, I That's okay. 1 <laughs> Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Mm hmm. Okay. All right, I want you to read verses 10 through 33. Read, oh, you're, you you Sure, that's fine. If you can, that's fine. Yeah. You said
0: 1
1: 14. 10 through 33. Now, before you get started, let me kind of give you a little intro so I'll give you a chance to settle in and transition because I totally understand where you're coming from. Last week we talked about the purpose and the power of prophecy as we've been doing this series on Back to School and going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's explaining the use of spiritual gifts to this, this really brand new church. Now, you got to understand. There was, there was a church there in Corinth that gathered together like we do, but most of their activities happened in smaller groups, away from the, the Sabbath celebration, and so you can kind of see this in the text we're going to read today, because what we're talking about applies to either or, whether you're in the main setting of the main church or even in a small group. But what he's dealing with, he's dealing with a church that just didn't have any church experience. So they didn't really understand how all these spiritual gifts were supposed to operate. But they were I'm happy they were trying. They were trying to learn how to do this. So there was a little bit of a learning curve in learning how to, to balance the gifts of the Spirit within the local, local setting of the local church and in their smaller groups. And so he, this is what Paul's teaching about. He's teaching about the gifts of the Spirit... And that he 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 summarized it in verse chapter thirteen, is saying that you know whatever you do, make sure you just do it in love, and it, don't do it with a big head, and don't be do it like a you know it all. But because so it, because it's for the, the summation of that is because it's for the whole body, and so we have to be ministry minded. This is very important. If you're going to operate in a gift, it's not about you being used in a gift. It's about touching someone else's life and thinking about other people. I know that's really hard. Sometimes we just get so focused on ourselves we don't think about other people. But that's what what we're seeing in this. So he says uh, that these gifts, particularly these gifts of proclamation that he's in right now, the the gifts of proclamation is prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now, like I said last week, uh, he made it very clear that tongues plus interpretation of tongues equals prophecy. So they're the same. It just comes in a different avenue. So my encouragement to you today is is never, never, particularly today, because we're going to talk about tongues for today. Never be afraid to embrace that wonderful, most glorious gift that God has given to every born again person whether they use it or not is their choice but I'm here to encourage you you don't want to miss the blessing so now let's go into this a little bit deeper as uh, as Richie has finally gotten his place here right? Gotcha! Okay. Did I give you enough time? Okay, okay, okay
0: There are Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing it with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted un- say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet an evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together, and all speaks in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if you all prophesy, and an unbeliever To account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a song, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two, for at the most, and one must interpret but if there is no interpreter he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment but if a revelation is made to another who is seated and the first one must the first one must keep silent for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted and the spirits of the prophets are subject the prophet. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches
1: of the saints. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Richie. He did good, didn't he? I like that. So, what about tongues? Now, for most of you in here, this, this may be old hat for you, but I want you to take notes so that you can tell other, talk to other people. Somebody had to share this with me uh, because, you know, I was one of those, I'll talk about it in a minute, I was one of those unlearned people. So every believer, every born-again believer, has the ability and should use this gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you remember in Mark chapter 16, it said, Jesus said, And these signs shall follow those, or th- these signs will accompany those who, who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. So Jesus is saying here that, that this speaking in tongues is actually a sign. Paul gives us more definition, but Jesus said it's a sign. What is a sign used for? What do you use a sign for? It gives you direction. It tells you what to do when you know what to do or where to go, right? It's an inform- It gives us information about obviously God. So signs are technically Attesting miracles, so when you speak in tongues, it is a it is an expression of a miracle that God is doing something. Now think about this on the day of Pentecost in Acts in Acts chapter two verses two four it says, and they were all filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. That's when the believers, the first believers of the church, were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. No, they didn't get saved that day. They were already saved. We see that from scriptures. So they were in the temple together, and they were worshiping, and the Spirit of God came and fell upon them. And they What was the first thing that happened? The very first thing is they started what? Speaking in tongues. And then it also happened to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Uh, it says, in all the circumcised... Well, you, I won't tell you the whole story, but there was this fellow named Cornelius, and he, he was a... a, a a seeker of uh, the Jewish God, so to speak. And the Lord showed, had, had an angel come and talk to him and said, Go send for Peter. And they sent for Peter and Peter. And Peter came and he preached to them. But before he could even start preaching, this is really so cool. It says, And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. He started to speak to them. And they were gloriously saved and filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues. But my point is this. It says here very clearly, and on numerous occasions in the book of Acts, it says very clearly they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Now, the Holy Spirit could technically be The gift, but he's really, he's a person. And the person brought the gifts. So when he moved into these new founded believers, the spirit of God, the person brought the whole package with him. So every believer who's born again, their spirit is new to God. It's been renewed by the spirit of God. The gift of the Holy Spirit is already there. We choose if we want to use it or not. Are you with me? And then in, in Acts chapter 19, and there was a place at Ephesus, uh, there was a fellow named Apollos who preached there, and uh, he got gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit. I won't give you the whole story. But he, there were some believers left behind that had heard his old preaching before Apollos was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and Paul ran across them. And it says that uh, that, believer, that Paul laid hands on those people And the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak with tongues and prophesy. So you see, you've got so many evidences here that this is the norm for the church. And I've said this before, statistically, worldwide, 85% of all true born-again Christians pray in tongues. Now, you don't know that because you live here in the States. And in the States, it's totally reversed. We've been Europeanized to be the stoic people who don't do those uncommon things. You know, we've got to be prim and proper, and you know, we don't do that. That's not normal for today. But you get outside of this country, it's really interesting. When we and we've traveled a number of countries over the over the world for off and on over the years, you can go to Baptist church, you can go to Presbyterian church. In West Africa or South Africa or, or in Central or South America, you you can you can go to Episcopalian church, you can go to Catholic church. You know what they believe? The same thing you and I believe in this church. You'll hear them singing in tongues, praying in the Spirit, laying hands on the sick, watching miracles happen, and they and they have different labels, but they but they preach the same thing. Eighty-five percent of believers worldwide operate in these gifts. So I want all of us to. Be part of that also. So, I want to give you tongues 101. Say tongues 101. Let's be looking at our text today. At, let's start at verse 10. I'll go through a couple of things here. It says, perhaps there are a great many languages, but there's none without meaning. So, what is Paul saying? He said that whether you, what, whatever you're saying, it has meaning. So when you, it could be, people would call it angelic language. I don't know if there's such a thing. I don't see it in in scripture. But when you speak in tongues, you're speaking in a known language. You say, wait a minute, nobody knows that language. Well, somebody does. It's the Holy Spirit. God knows the language. And the Bible, and Paul made explanation of that in several other texts where he talks about that when you pray in the Spirit, that that the Spirit of God is praying the mind and the will of God. So they don't have an issue with this. It's just us folks here in the United States that have these issues. So bottom line is, is it does have meaning. You're not, it's not gibberish as you, some have been taught. It's not some ecstatical eruption of uncontrollable mouthing of strange words or syllables. No, it has meaning and definition and purpose behind it. Verse 12, it says, And so also since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. And then we just mentioned that. Remember, the use of the gift of tongues, and I'm going to show you the difference here in a minute between tongues, the praying in tongues and praying in spirit in just a moment. The motivation for the use of any of these gifts is for the edification of the church. Is the church church edified? Now, let's go on. Let's look at a couple of clues in here because if you don't pay attention, you can overlook this. Verse 13 says, Therefore, let the one who speaks, everyone say speaks, speaks in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. Now, here's a clue. He says, Whoever speaks in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. What's the clue? It's the praying part. There's a difference between speaking and praying in the spirit and just simply thinking. Stay with me. Verse 14. For if I, now, now, now notice from verse 13 to verse 14. Verse 13, he says, speaks in a tongue. Verse 14, for if I what? Pray in a tongue. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So he says, you speak in tongues and you can Pray in tongues. Now, how do you pray in the Spirit? In verse 15 it says, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the mind also. Now let's stop and let's study this very carefully for a minute. I will pray with the Spirit. So what does that mean? How how do you pray with the spirit and pray with the mind? See, praying with the mind does not mean you're praying your thoughts. And let me stop here and, and talk about this a minute. A lot of people think that praying your thoughts is all the prayer that's necessary. And I'm not saying you can't pray with your thoughts but God did not design the kingdom to be handled by thoughts if you look at the examples given to us all through the Bible when God wants his when he wants something accomplished in the earth he asks that man speak his prayers and this is my personal opinion I think it's okay if you want to pray with your mind, but that's, to me, more like meditation, which is not really meditation because meditation requires speaking with your mouth. Yeah. But but so, but so if you want to think your prayers, you're probably not... You may feel better, but you're not accomplishing anything. Are you with me? When you pray, you got to use words. Yeah. Why? Because God uses the word to create in the earth and he uses man to get his creative word into the earth and so he needs somebody who can pray with words to release his power into this world so he can accomplish what he wants done so if you want to pray in your mind you go ahead but if you want to get something done pray out loud anybody understand what I'm talking about that's the beauty of of praying in tongues now There's a difference between speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. Praying in tongues, based on this text, is when you are praying to the Lord by the unction of the Holy Spirit on your own behalf or for someone else in a private or semi-private atmosphere. Speaking in tongues requires publicly to be interpreted. And I mentioned but last week, that's why when when you pray, if you speak a public tongues, you better pray <laughs> that you get interpretation. In fact that's that's I, as I explained last week, that's how I know when it's proper to pray in tongues or to speak in tongues in a public service because I don't I wait until the Holy Spirit actually he usually gives me, signals or stop signs or or little flashes of a word or sentence you know there's something that I connect with and I know that the Lord wants to say something and then I wait to see if he wants me to deliver it as a prophecy in English my vernacular or if he wants me to deliver it in tongues now I'll be honest with you most of the time I'll look around and and I can do we can do this now we won't be able to do it forever but now I can sort of look and see if there's any unbelievers in the house if I don't see any unbelievers, then I'm going off in prophecy. But if I suspect there's at least one person that may not be saved or is really, really backslidden, then and, and the Lord says, "Do it in tongues," I'll do it in tongues. Does that make sense? And so this is the same thing that you can apply to your own life. So, I mean, how how some people say, "Well, how do you pray in the spirit?" Some people think, like, um, um, "No, that's not." Praying in the spirit. You pray. Well, let's look at it. Let's look at verse 15. It says, what what is the outcome then? I will pray. Now, as again, he's already talked about in verse 13. He speaks. That's a public use of tongues. Everyone say that, public use of tongues. When you speak in tongues, that's the public use of tongues. When you pray in a tongue, that's private use. Or at least semi-private. It's okay when you get together as a group. And we do this around here where everybody will pray out loud in tongues. Because how do you pray not out loud in tongues? I mean, how do you pray in tongues in your mind? You can't do it because, see, that's the beauty of praying in tongues. See, when when you're using your cognitive thinking processes, we're limited in what we can pray. And because there's so many things that can distort our prayer, our feelings, our senses, our emotions. There's so many things that can mess up our prayer because our brain is in high gear and it's rushing through and trying to get this answer from God because I need it now. And I'm not going to be patient. I want it right now. And then inside, if you pray in the spirit, you're bypassing your mind and it's literally coming out of your spirit it doesn't go to your brain. It just it stops right here. It comes right out of your mouth, and that is the praying, or praying in the spirit, or praying in tongues. Okay, and so when you do that, then you I get personally get answers. And this is the great thing about tongues. First of all, never be afraid of it. God's not going to pull your tongue out like some cartoon character and, and make it flap up and down. You know, that is not He does not work that way. You are in absolute control of the use of it. But what I like, have you ever had days where you, where you wanted to pray and a bazillion things were in your head? Jake, you know what I'm talking about? You know, you know, everything in the world is going on. And, and, and you can't even get your own thoughts straight, let alone pray with any kind of reasoning with your understanding. I, have you ever, had, have you ever been, had times where you just, I've done this, where I just, I go out and walk every day. And, and so there have been times when I wouldn't even pray in English the whole hour that I'm out walking. By the time I get back home, we've got all the issues settled. And I never said a thing in English. Now figure that out. That's the beauty of praying in the Spirit. Now, by the way, can I give you a little more instruction? If you really want to know what you're praying in tongues, ask the Holy Spirit to give you interpretation. And I've had this happen many times, particularly uh, sometimes when you're praying in tongues. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it starts sounding different? It's like you're almost, not that it's connected to a country, but it's almost like you went halfway across the world to some other lingo And you go, you know, you're off over here and it's it's totally different. Well, my curiosity just gets to me. So I say, Lord, what did I just say? What's the interpretation? And, you know, most of the time he'll give me the interpretation of what I was praying. So you can use it privately. Now, it's not in the scripture. That's just me. You do what you want to do. I'm just too curious about those kinds of things. So the point is, is that use it. Use it. It's such a release. It's such a refreshing and sometimes you don't know who you're praying for. I was praying this morning in, in the spirit. And I felt a troubling in my spirit. Anyone had that happen? We just were troubled. You were stirred. And so I just prayed a little bit longer. And then the Lord gave me the name of a local pastor. And I started praying against the spirit of suicide. And so I realized that when I was through praying for him, that the Holy Spirit, was it appeared to me, was already praying in that direction. And I just sort of picked up on what he was trying to communicate to the Father. Do you follow me? And so I was able to pray in English for this pastor and several other things, obviously, with they were dealing with a, with a spirit of suicide. And so I prayed for him. So, so, but where did it come from? It came from that stirring while I was praying in the spirit. See, it's, it's like when you're praying in the spirit, you're not encapsulated by time and space and distance. It, the Holy Spirit is praying through you. And so it, it's, it's giving you the ability to, by the spirit to, to search out what God wants to do in this entire world. It's an amazing thing. You know, you could, be, you could be the one that God says, I want you to pray for such and such king or president in some country, maybe, and you don't even know the name of the country, and you pray for them and, and God saves them and gets them filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start and their country gets turned around. He may only have one person. It doesn't take but one. They'll pray that prayer. And so rather than search with your mind, the Holy Spirit is always in there. He's got his radar on all the time. Are you with me on this? I'm totally off my notes. Excuse me. So, But this is how it works. So he says in verse 15, what's the outcome? I will get past this verse in a minute. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with my mind. So that's what we've been talking about. You pray with your mind, your cognitive, uh, successive thoughts. You pray with your thoughts. You take your thoughts and you bring it to your words and you pray with your understanding, but then you can also pray in the Spirit. But now this is what's interesting, and we don't do enough of this here. He says, I will sing with the Spirit. And I will sing with... With my mind. Now we just sang a song. We sang that with our mind. Now what does he mean singing in the spirit? That means it's initiated and directed by the spirit of God in a language you don't know to a melody that you've never heard. It's an amazing thing. I love to do this. I know my neighbors think I'm crazy, but I can I can get I can go out. Sometimes, and, and, and I can just, I can, I can sing in tongues for an hour. It doesn't matter if I don't know what's going on. And, but, you know, the neighbors think I'm crazy anyway, so it doesn't matter. But my point is, is that you can, you can develop, see, it's unctioned by the Holy Spirit. So it's just like you are, you can start and stop your prayer language. You can also start and stop your song in the spirit. So you may be singing joyful, joyful, all you know, one of the Christmas songs, and that's great. We do want to do all that stuff, but sometimes you just need to make you just need to let the Holy Spirit say. Oh yes, yeah. see, see, you you sense just me singing it. Did you sense the spirit of God? See, that's the beauty of it, and you know, and and it's always different. It's always new. And you're, can you can you ma- I mean, this is like practice for heaven. I mean, it really is, because when we get to heaven, we're not going to be locked down to these fleshly bodies that get tired and our vocal cords get weary and you get laryngitis if you're not careful if you sing too much. But when you get to heaven, man, it's going to be awesome. Do you think about this? How is ever when you've got all these thousands of millions of millions of millions of believers in the throne of God and they're all singing, what are they going to be singing in? You got I mean, you got somebody over here singing in Spanish and someone over here speaking in English and singing in, in, in Russian or whatever it might be. What a mess. There'll be one voice, one song. And it won't be anything that we know about. So I believe this is just an open gate for us to have an experience and practice when, it, when we get to heaven. I want to be ready when I go there that, man, I can go off and just think about can you imagine just singing by the Spirit of God and praising Him for days, years, eternity? Wow. I mean, unbelievable. So isn't it wonderful that He, he lets us have a glimpse, a touch, a taste of it now? So I encourage you, use this wonderful gift that God has given you and, and get you a touch of heaven now. Don't wait till you have to get, die and kick the bucket to, to find this out. Do it now. Anyway. So that's how you sing. You sing in the spirit by using your mouth. Now, let's get another clue here real quick because I need to wrap this up. Verse 16. Otherwise, people will read this and miss this completely. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying? People ask me all the time, well, what are you you saying? What's going on? Uh, You see, sometimes people think that praying in the Spirit is just like making an appeal to God. But I've noticed this in my prayer language. Sometimes He does have me pray the appealing prayer, the requesting type of prayer. I can sense that. Other times, it's when I'm praying in the Spirit, I know it's pure praise. It's pure worship. I mean, you know, you, this is, this. anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, man, it's awesome. It, it, and that's what, it, so look at, so he gives us, he says, when you're praying in the spirit, first of all, you're blessing. Oh, I like that. So there are times when you're even with your mind, you say, you know, I do this, I say, Lord, right now, I'm going to sing in tongues, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to worship you. And I just go on off on the purpose of just blessing him with my song that he gave me. Isn't that cool? It's amazing. So you you are blessing when you're speaking in tongues, and then it says, and later on that verse it says, and and at your giving of thanks, you know, think about the think about the adjectives you could use for thanks. We could run out of adjectives for thanks. Oh, it would take me about 30 seconds or less. Probably a lot less. But, you know, you can stop and say, Lord, I'm just going to give you thanks. And, and know that you're just, you're just giving him thanks. You say, well, well, is that useful? It sure is. God likes it. That's why he gave it to us. I like it because I become refreshed and encouraged. And the Bible says praying in the Spirit will build me up in my faith. So it's an amazing. So that's so that's the that's a, oh, I didn't even get there. That's another part of, of benefit of praying in the spirit. But I, I've got I've got to move on. So he gives us the clues to the use of these tongues. It says in in verse sixteen, the giving of thanks. He confirms it in verse seventeen. The same thing. Now, but how does Paul know about all this? How did he know to write this? Well, see, Paul had an experience. When he was, man, he was torturing the church, and uh, he was on this road. He was going to go to another city, and he was going to go persecute Christians. He man, man, he ran right smack dab in the face of Jesus. Well, he got struck off his horse, knocked off his horse. He was blind. He went into the city. He he was converted there in that Damascus Road experience. Knocked him off his horse. Knock some sense into him too. Sounds like to me, and so he went in. He went into town, and so he was blind, and he started fasting. And the Lord spoke to him, and said, "I'm going to send somebody to you." Well, there was a fellow in that little town named Ananias, and Ananias, God tells him, he said, "I want you to go to Paul, and pray for him." Now, can you imagine getting being on excitement? This is Paul, the Christian killer, Come on. And, and, and so. And Ananias goes, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul was already saved. Three days earlier, he got saved. Spirit of God moved inside. But now Ananias is laying hands on him so that he can be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, he got so full... He actually says in this text, he said, I thank God I pre- pray in tongues more than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. How could he do that? Because that's part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's for every believer. So every believer has the ability and should by all means use this precious gift. So let me close this up to give you a couple of high, why, when, where, and how detail kind of things of tongues. Now Paul says in his text, in verse 20, he says, I want you to be mature in your thinking. So first of all, he's telling the church, I'm going to tell you how to behave in church. Now, I kind of like this because it gives me a little freedom when I'm by myself. I can just do whatever the Lord directs me to do. But when I'm in around other believers, he says, I want to show you how to behave. We probably need to be schooled in that. Some, no, we don't. We know it here, but some places need to be schooled in this. So he says, be in your thinking, be mature." So in verses 21 and 22. Now, I would have never picked out this verse of Scripture, but verse 21, Paul goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 28, and he brings up a Scripture about, it says, By the tongue by, the, by, the, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers will I speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So here he comes. So then, tongues are for a sign. Remember we talked about a sign in, in, uh, in Mark, last chapter of Mark. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. So Paul makes it very clear that the outward use of tongues in a public setting where someone speaks out above or beyond everyone else in the Praying in tongues, or speaking in tongues. He says, that is a sign to unbelievers. That's why I look around to see if there's any unbelievers in the house. It's kind of cue me in, because if they're there, I want to be accurate to the scriptures itself. Let me give you a better translation of this uh, Isaiah 28. It comes from the uh, NIV. It says, very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. Pretty clear, isn't it? But prophecy is for the believer. Now in verse 23, we need it says, Therefore, if the whole church... Now notice, first of all, he says the whole church. So he's talking about the general Sabbath meeting of the church. He's not excluding the home churches that were all over the city of Corinth because they would come together on their Sabbath day and we're not sure if that was still Saturday or Sunday at that time. It's a debatable. But the point is, is they came together as the whole church. So he says when the whole church assembles. See, this is why I have an issue with churches that don't. that are, And there are churches who quote to be Pentecostal but do not allow the gifts of the Spirit in their whole church setting. It's going contrary to the Word of God. And there's some very popular ones in our country that banned the use of gifts in their services even though they propose that it's okay if you want to, but just not in church. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and the ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? Now let's stop there. I want to look at this because we're going to close in this same thought. He talks about two people here. So when the church meets together, he talks about the ungifted and the unbeliever. Now, I want to, I want to emphasize this. The word ungifted in this text and in an, on down in the next verse, I think it is, the word ungifted is better translated unlearned. Now, the reason for that, because when the translators wrote this, These were, just so you'll know, this translation was written by translators who were not Pentecostal, charismatic tongues talkers. So they're they're doing their proper order of taking scriptures to make sure that the the Greek matches everything else in the Bible. But see, it does not say ungifted in the Greek. It says unlearned. Remember, when the Holy Spirit saves someone, he brings the gift. The gift is already there. So every believer is gifted, not ungifted. Are you with me? Look it up. You look it up in your, in your, in your Strong's Concordance. It'll tell you the same thing that I just read to you. So it's not ungifted. It's unlearned. In other words, they haven't been taught. They've never been taught that they can use this most precious and wonderful gift. Wow. So, ungifted or unlearned Christians are people who don't pray in tongues. Not because they're not gifted, but because they are unlearned. In other words, they have not been instructed properly as Paul was trying to do here in the use of this marvelous gift that he wants for every one of us. So... What does this tell us? In verse 26, I'm wrapping this up. He says, what's the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has interpretation done. Let all things be done for edification. So what is he saying? He says, listen, church, when you come together, when you meet, whether you're in your life group or in a church service, when you meet, come with your guns loaded, Come with your guns loaded. Be ready when you go in there not to suck all the life out of someone else, but to give life to someone else. Be ready to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Be prepared before you go to a life group or into a church service. You know, and I know most of you probably prayed a little bit this morning, but sincerely, did you stop long enough to say, God, use me today? Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Let me operate in your gifts. I want to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. Let me touch someone's life today. Let me be make an impact on someone by giving them a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Or maybe, Lord, could it be the gifts of healings or the working of a miracle? I don't know, but Lord, I want to be ready. That's the kind of prayer we should be praying when we come to before we come to church. So have tell the person beside you have your guns loaded. Have them loaded. Have them loaded. So now, lastly, he gives us the protocol of how these operate, these ex- how the, the explanation of how these proclamation gifts operate. In verses 27, we just read them, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31. I just want to keynote one or two things in here. Let's look at verse uh, 28. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. It says... Man, I can't help myself. I hate this. All right. So it says in verse 27, if you speak in tongues, it should be by two or three at the most. And each one have, have a turn. And But there must be an interpretation. In other words, what he was saying is you don't have one person go, blah, 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 blah. And then another person, blah, 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 blah. And another one, blah, blah, blah. There's got to be an interpretation in between there so we'll know what's being said. I personally take it as this. When one person gives a message and speaking in tongues, there should be an interpretation for that. And then to the, pro- to, uh, to the next person is the same. Now, there can be a difference with prophecy because, I've, because prophecy doesn't need interpretation. We understand it, right? So what that does is it enables us for, for if, as everyone is prophesying, it will build, the Holy Spirit will build His case. So you may have one person. And we do this. We practice this here about listening to what the Spirit of God is saying. And one person will start with a prophecy and then someone else will pick up and continue the thought. And then the third person may finish the thought or the essence of what the Holy Spirit wants to say. But with tongues and interpretation, there should be a stopping process. Remember why? Because it's a sign to the unbeliever. So he says in verse 28, But if no one is present who can interpret... Now get this, if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in the church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Then verses 32 and 33, he talks about this protocol of exercising control. God is not going to make, like I said, he's not going to flap your lips and make you do something you don't want to do. You're not going to be ranting and raving and spitting and rolling Why? Because that would be foolishness and it would be out of order. But what he says is this in the New Living Translation. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after another so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and they can take turns. So he's speaking of prophecy, but what is tongues and interpretation of tongues? Prophecy. So all of these are proclamation gifts, and so they're to be done, to be done in a correct order. So this is now this is, I'm closing now. I'm gonna land the plane. We didn't read this verse, but Paul ends his thought, his ends his thoughts on this whole episode that we see in chapter 12, 13, and 14. He takes all three of the what we call chapters, and he brings a summation. Actually, he brings a command. After having said all of that and giving them instruction on the protocols and the way things should be set up, he says very clearly in verse 39 and 40, Therefore, my brethren... Desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. That was his command. He was not like some people, not like most people in the United States have been taught. He's not say, he is saying this stuff hasn't stopped. There is no such thing as cessation in the kingdom of God. The gifts and the spirit of God and the power of God did not die with the first apostles. It's been proven year after year after year. In fact, you can go, there's a book I read called 2,000 Years of Charismatic Operations of the Gifts. Great book. And it it details historically what the church has been doing since the beginning of the church. And the gifts never have died. They've always been in operation. They're always there. You can attest to it. I mean, let's face it. If you pray in tongues, you pray in the Spirit, then that means every one of those gifts are available for God to use through each one of us. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a signia ring. It's not, not, not something that's not a crown. It's just simply saying, all right, if you can pray in tongues, then you can operate in a word of knowledge. If you can pray in tongues, you can prophesy. If you pray in tongues, you can work in the gifts of the healings. If you pray in tongues, you can, have, you can exercise the gift of faith. If you pray in tongues, uh, you can have a word of knowledge. If you pray in tongues, you can have a word of wisdom. If you pray in tongues, you can distinguish between spirits. You follow what I'm saying? So there's no exclusion to this. And the beauty of it is it opens a door for God to use each one of us. It's an absolutely wonderful thing. I want you to stand to your feet. Did you learn anything today? I want to close With that verse I spoke about earlier, back around 23, Paul talked about the unlearned and the unbeliever. I want to talk to you for a minute. Are you a believer? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that He died on a cross to save us from our sins? Do you believe that God raised Him from the dead? Do you believe enough to him give him your life and embrace him as your personal Lord and Savior? If you've done that, if you can recall a time when you've done that, then you're a believer. But there's too many people, too many people in this world who live life on the assumption that just because they had a momentary event with God, they think and had an altar call and went down and made a, a some kind of profession but you're not living it out, then you're not a believer. My friends, when, when you're a believer, your life changes. And the, and the sin that we used to do, you don't do anymore. That's proof that you're really born again. So the church can't save you. We we're, were watching TV last night and it a little program, and it, they were talking about the church being the place where, you know, basically they were saying the church will save you. Well, you know what denomination that is. That the church, the church cannot save you. Water baptism cannot save you. Christening cannot save you. Being a member of a church cannot save you. Coming to church cannot save you. None of that can save you. The only thing that can save us is if we have repented of our sins, confessed them before the Lord, and giving him, given Him our life and yielded our life to Him to His full submission, then you're really a believer. So now having said that, we may have an unbeliever in the house. And if we do, I want you to come forward. We're going to pray for you. Thank you for listening to the Resurrection
0: Church podcast. We hope you are encouraged and ready to win souls for Christ. For more information or to plan your visit, go to rc-hickory.org.